0: hello my friends and welcome back title chatter i'm your host ray bohax the hot rod farmer from sunny cat swamp road beautiful um, beautiful day thank god and uh, high uv index and uh, probably in the i didn't look at the weather station but i'd say it's probably in the low 80s and a little bit hotter than the sun so my corn is loving it and we uh, have been blessed here in warren county with a sufficient amount of rain even though we started the planting season very deficient we've been blessed with uh, timely rains and we got a little bit more than an inch yesterday and most of my corn has got into well probably six or seven of the eight plantings maybe six of the eight plantings have gone from the vegetative stage to the reproductive stage putting the tassel out and starting to make an ear and the first few plantings should be uh God willing filling those ears when I get done with the show today I'm gonna go out there and check everything and hopefully in the next couple of days we're gonna begin harvesting so uh that's always an exciting time the blessing of harvest and uh I will be doing my shows in between picking corn and I have uh a a crew lined up two of the um people I had last year Lucas and Max and then possibly another young man um A.J. and another young man, Robert. So we we'll have to check them out and bring them over to the farm and see what it's all about. But God willing, we should be able to uh, get rolling and pull a blessing of that harvest out of the field. And hopefully, things are going well with you and uh, and in your in your operation and in your life. And God willing, if you needed some rain, I know that they've got you've gotten some rain. In those areas that need it so badly, obviously it's a wide swath of the country, so it may not uh, have come to you. But I pray that it does and can save your crop. It's a terrible situation out there, and I even mentioned it on the radio show this week. I don't talk about that uh, on the radio show much, or talk about ancillary things as I do, camera my podcast audience, because the show is so tight in time. It's one thousand four hundred forty seconds. So uh, I have to be between 13, 1439 and 1441. I mean, I guess I could have a little bit more wiggle room than that, but I shoot for shoot for that. And uh, so there's not much time for uh, any anything other than the subject matter, but it's a blessing to have that show, and I'm grateful to Rural Radio and to Patrick Gotch and the whole team there that is supporting me and allowing me to bring education about machinery to a different audience because... Uh, Believe it or not, a lot of those people are new to uh, to what I'm doing, and I guess there's some overlap, but it's hard for me to uh, identify that. And uh, so, but if you do have serious satellite radio, please check out the show. Uh, it is on Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. It's one half hour show. It's actually 24 minutes, but six minutes of commercial, so it's a half hour time slot. And then it is the encore or replay on sunday at 6 p.m eastern and know that the it's the same format as idle chatter but it is not the same show i'm not taking the same content and bringing it over to the other show and just just comp- just compressing it so it's different subject matter and uh, we may get uh you, you may see some of the toolbox test questions the same, because I try to follow along with that. And if it's, and if it's a, a good special delivery letter, you may have some repetition there. But I try to pick stuff that I think that will uh, 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 mesh. is probably what I'm looking for with that audience. And talking about the toolbox test, I was informed by Ron Learn just this morning before I started to record this show, that I had messed up last week on or on last week's show, and I had used the same toolbox test question that I did two weeks prior, and uh, you know it sounded <laughs> familiar to me. But I uh, I guess I have to start to keep better records. So you know, in traffic court here in New Jersey, and as a young man, I knew the traffic court quite well. And if you went in front of the judge, you would be have be, you'd you'd be able to plead something called guilty with an explanation. And I don't know if that's of any place else in the country, but we had that here. So if if you got caught speeding or caught doing something, say, yes, Your Honor, I'm not going to lie. I'm a Christian man. I'm, I'm guilty. But let me explain to you why I did it. And then if the judge has mercy on you, guilty with an explanation, you go, you're going to get fined. So you're not going to walk out of the court without something. But historically, if you were honest with the judge and uh, he saw what was going on, that he would either reduce the fine or change it to something that does not give you points on your license, which is what I was concerned with. So uh, I'm going to say as far as messing up the toolbox test is concerned, guilty with an explanation, and the um, the explanation was that I messed up. So I uh, apologize for that, and I will try not to do that again. I do keep records of the toolbox tests that I keep, that I that I run on the radio show and I usually key that off of what's going on in idle chatter and run a couple of weeks behind on the radio show because I do those in advance about two weeks in advance so I'm always running it behind well I guess ahead on the radio show but uh, in that respect but I didn't mess up and thanks Ron and uh, for telling me that and hopefully I don't do that again, and if I do, you know, if I mess something up, you know, please feel free to reach out to me. I, my wife knows I mess up quite a bit, so That's, but it's not done. It's guilty with an explanation, and the explanation is I messed up because I had thought that it was a new question to this show, and so I apologize, but today hopefully it is going to be a new question. But also, uh, since I'm discuss- mentioning Ron Learn, he had also sent me an email about the uh, F-150 hybrid podcast. And I thank you for listening to that. And uh, he had referenced a podcast, uh, a road test that I did last year. And he said that truck got over 40 miles per gallon with it and it was not a hybrid. And he's 100% correct. And that was the uh, inline Duramax six cylinder diesel that I had in the two thousand and twenty um, GMC Denali, and I think on the excuse me on the highway I got forty two miles per gallon with that. But uh, you know, keep in mind that when I do these road tests, it's it it's a controlled environment. I almost say it's a controlled environment. It's a public road, but I'm the t- i I don't, I drive during the road test as I would drive the vehicle if it were mine. So I don't try to eke out mileage and I don't try to do anything to decrease mileage. But as I said in the show before, and it's going to touch on what we have with the topic today, which is going to be algorithms. And I'll get there in a minute. But the way you drive is going to be paramount, especially in these newer vehicles to the fuel economy you get. And um, if you if you drive them properly you could eke out a lot of mileage So somebody else may i got 42 miles per gallon in that denali with the duramax that's the six-cylinder duramax not the v8 the inline six-cylinder three liter and uh, but somebody else might take that truck and get 26 miles per gallon but uh, that's what you were referencing ron in your note to me and what i want to do is i need to give some shout outs because we have some getting some more pins in the map and um uh, Please, please, uh, just let me know, hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. You could go into as much detail as you want about your life and your operation, your farm operation, a ranch, or you could go just give me your name and where you're from and you will get a pin in the map. So uh, I would love to keep filling that map, map up and we're getting some nice feedback from that. And as I said, if that uh, once we get enough people, I'd like to start to do a listener spotlight segment on the show. But if you don't contact me, you can't, get a listener, you can't get a pin in the map. And keep in mind also that even though we have communicated in the past for whatever reason is that I will not take the liberty of putting a pin in the map because you may not want somebody to know where you live. I can I don't understand why but you may not want somebody to know your last name whatever that's it's you know I'm not taking any liberties with this. So even if you are uh, you' communicate with me many times, uh, you just reach out to me and tell me that your town where you are and I will be more than happy to put a pin in the map. So the shout outs today are gonna, we're gonna start out with with Corey Dombrowski. And he hangs his hat. He lives in Lehigh Acres, Florida. And uh, he uh, reached out to me last week. And I want to thank you so much, uh, Corey, for the... um the very, very encouraging note that you sent me as far as my work on the show. And uh, as I often say, it's those are the treasures. When, you, when you're when behind this microphone or you're behind a keyboard and you're writing uh, notes like that are definitely treasures. And I want to thank you for that. And it gives you the encouragement and the, uh, to, to continue on and to press on. But interestingly enough, uh, he works for a company called Sakata, S-A-K-A-T-A, which is a Japanese company. Sakata seed america and i had never heard of them so i took the liberty of looking them up it's quite interesting and they uh it seems that they and that from what i had gleaned is that they do some vegetable seeds some ornamental seeds and some flower seeds and Corey um is in is in research in at Secata Seed down in Florida, and I believe that they have an office, according to their website, or another facility in California. But he's also shortly going to be taking over some uh, some um, responsibilities as far as running the farm there. And he had they haven't a fleet of tractors and I think two of them have 18,000 hours so as he said uh they must have been doing something right there John Deere's and they have a newer John Deere also so thank you so much uh Corey and there's a um a pin in Florida and as best as I could glean where Lehigh Acres is the next person that I want to shout out to is Phyllis Semanchik And Phyllis Symanchik, the Symanchik family is very, very well known. They've been in the dairy business since the Spanish Inquisition almost, I mean, in Alamuchi in the township. I tell people it's Hackettstown, but it's actually Alamuchi Township because uh, the mail comes from Hackettstown. So my legal mailing address is Hackettstown, but I pay taxes to Alamuchi. And Phyllis Symanchik reached out to me and uh and i did not know that she is a listener to the radio show on sirius xm so i'm gonna hopefully talk to her after harvest about doing an on the road podcast episode with her the semantic family has a a very long history and passion for agriculture and specifically dairy and she's continuing that passion that passion on and i would love to get her on the show and she would be the first female guest on the show that was a standalone guest not a wife or a mother of somebody else so uh so i'm hoping that that does happen so thank you phyllis for listening and hopefully you're listening to the podcast too the next person i want to shout out to is a longtime listener of idle chatter and it's it's kyle friday from from uh, essexville michigan and uh he's also going to be the supplier of the supplier provider of the uh, special delivery letter today because he has a problem with a uh, truck he bought but he wrote uh, he wrote uh, Ray hello my friend I hope this email finds you well this is Kyle Friday from Essexville Michigan at the mouth of the Saginaw Bay put a put a pin in the map for me I grew up on a hobby farm with my brothers and parents, but have always had a passion for agriculture. My career is in healthcare, but I worked many years on various dairy and cash crop farms and continue to do so. So thank you so much, Kyle. It's been a blessing for you to uh, be a listener to the show that we've communicated over the past few years. And uh, and I'm uh, proudly, as soon as I got that, I put a pin in the map with his name on it. Now, last but not least today, before we get into the subject matter, um, this is probably my youngest listener that I've been able to identify and uh, he listens on the radio show, and he may listen on the podcast, but I know he listens on the radio show, and his name is Sam Barlieb, like Barlieb, so it's Barlieb, but B-A-R-L-I-E-B, and he's in Stewartsville, New Jersey, and he's eight years old, and his grandmother reached out to me and told me that he loves to listen to the Hot Rod Farmer, and he's going to be, and he loves farming, and he loves machinery, he's a, he's, and, uh, a young man, uh, a little guy after my own heart. And interestingly enough, I had met, well, I was exposed, we were exposed to each other, I should say, back in, I think, 2018. On They sat in front of me, his dad, his mom, and his sister sat in front of me on the plane to Commodity Classic because they farm in Stewartsville, which is not far, about 25 miles away. And if anybody is a keen listener, who lives in Stewartsville? but uh sam barley obviously but he lives on the farm on that his grandparents own their house is right across the road from the grandparents and his grandpa his grandfather that he's going to take the farm over from and has told him many times that he's going to is sam santini and he's been a national corn growers association winner for 44 consecutive years, and I did an on-the-road podcast with him. So, little Sam Barlieb is is the Santini's grandson. So Chris and Sam, Chris is his grandmother, and Sam is his grandfather, and they live right there in Stewartsville, New Jersey. And uh, the little Sam Junior, we'll call him, he has the blessing of growing up. Under the tutelage of a of a very a, a award winning and successful farmer, so uh, interested to see what's going to happen. And uh, but thank you so much, Sam, for listening. And uh, we'll have to get together one day, and I have to get a small size hot rod farmer T shirt for you. So that is our shout outs for this week. So I want to thank you so much. And please, please, hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And I would love and be honored to put a pin in the map with your name on it and also with your name on it and I'm looking for my papers here, your name on it and your location in the uh, in the country, right? And also, please, I'm going to repeat, I'm getting to the subject matter, but I know that there's listeners all around the world. Please don't be shy. I am just as passionate about all of you and honor and respect all of you and are grateful for you so i know we have listeners and i don't don't, god knows where but please please just reach out to me i would love to i would love to i got a world map here so i got a world map and i would love to have a pin in it with your name so thank you so much all right so what we're going to be talking about today 16 minutes into the show but hey we gotta we gotta uh, do this stuff that's that's what makes it fun right is we're going to talk about algorithms, and uh, you know, an algorithm. I guess see where my papers are, but I don't know what I do them. That's fine. So, uh, an algorithm is very, very. Um, well, let me back up. The term that why do why do I feel that I want to discuss algorithms today is because everything. That we are using the vehicle you're driving, your 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 farm equipment for the most part, it's an algorithmic world, and we hear that term sometimes algorithm, and it's we have to under we have to start to understand how algorithms interact with our machinery and interact with our life. Now, if you talk, if you look to see, if you were in, back in school and they were going to teach algorithms. In in the generic sense, it's going to they're going to tell you that it's a sequence of instructions. So in its basic form, you would say that a recipe is an algorithm. Okay, uh, get two eggs, crack the eggs, scramble the eggs, put cheese in it, do this, do this to heat up the pan to x amount of degrees. So it's an, it's a sequence of instructions. And that's in its basic form. So throughout our life, we actually are using algorithms and are algorithmic, but we don't identify it as that way. And and what I like to also say, I don't like to use the recipe, even though the schools teach it as a recipe, is that I like to say that it's, it's like you're getting directions to go to somebody's place, somebody's farm. Okay, go... Go on, go on Route eighty for fifty two miles. Get off at Exit nineteen. Do this, do that, what have you. Make a left, make a right. Go three eighths of a mile. Turn into the driveway. So the thing is that um, it's a set of instructions, but in the computer sense or in the microprocessor sense, it's a it's considered to be a process of rules to be followed in a calculation, and that is how. A management system works, and it doesn't work on it doesn't work on magic. And I felt I touched on this a while back, about a year or so ago, in idle chatter. But I think it's a, it's time for me to do a whole show on algorithms, which I am going to, do, which is going to happen today. So when you look at anything, whether it's a uh, a washing machine that has some sort of microprocessor control a refrigerator your grain bin dryer your your pickup truck your car your tractor or what have you is that it all works under algorithms so what is an algorithm going to be in this sense it's going to be a calculation a mathematic calculation so for instance let's say now i'm going to use in simplistic terms our washing machine now, a washing machine is a uh, high efficiency Maytag top loader. So, what it does is that it, when you put, you put the laundry in, and you could preset things to drive it in a certain direction. So we say one high water fill, low water fill. You all right? And so there's certain things, and what they call that in in engineering, degrees of freedom. It's adjustability, but it also has a fully automatic mode. And when you, put it, when you put it in a fully automatic mode, it's going to make decisions on itself. So if we say that it has light soiled clothes in the wash, light soiled, it's going to, it's going to uh, wash for a certain amount of time and take a certain cycle. Well, the thing basically is, is that if we put a lot of clothes in there or towels, what have you, it has a weighted scale. So it determines how heavy the clothes are. And then it determines by that how much water to put into the drum right because it's a high efficiency to save water so all of this is a mathematic calculation now the thing is that with an algorithm there's going to be tables that are going to be looked at so for instance the washing machine so if we say if i press the button and it says we can have a light load and let's say argue we're making up numbers is 15 pounds of clothes and it's a light load then in through its its calculations, it is going to determine that it needs to wash it for so long and put so much water in the drum. Now, so that is algorithmic. It's going to be a set of instructions based upon what it sees the data. Now, on a control system, and that's really a control system, it makes a difference whether it's a grain bin dryer, or like I said, a washing machine, whether it's a car, whether it's a truck, whether it's an engine whether it's uh, your auto steer system it all works on these tables that are what are considered algorithms now the fact of the matter is that why do you need to understand this is because the equipment that you're going that you have been working with works algorithmic, algorithmically and it's only going to get more complex than it is now so the thing is that let's say arguably that you have a, I have a worker on the farm. And I say to him, okay, go out into the field, go out to the field and uh, and uh, God forbid, right? Every Canada thistle that you see, God forbid, right? I want you to cut down. So now that's his instructions. So he's going to go out to the field. He's going to have to identify a Canada thistle and he's going to cut that Canada thistle down. So now, if I say to him, so that's one, so that's basically a very simple algorithm. You're going to identify something and then you're going to accomplish a task. So now, if I say to him, well, go out into the field and only cut down a Canada thistle that is in the crop area and not in the hedge around the field. So now that is, that is a little bit more of an advanced algorithm because he's going to go and say, well, there's a Canada thistle, but it's not in the crop area of the field. It's in the hedgerow, so I'm not going to cut that down. So now if I said to him, which would be absolutely ridiculous, okay, go out into the field and then go and only cut down the Canada thistle that is in the cropland, but the ones that are starting to go into flower. If it's not going into flower, don't cut it down. So now that's an advanced an advanced algorithm. It has more decision making processes in it. It has more steps in it. So that so now the thing is that if I so if he comes back and says, Okay, okay, hot rod, okay Ray, I'm I'm done with that. And I go out into the field and say, well why didn't you cut this this Canada thistle down, he says, Well, your instructions, your algorithm told me only to cut down every other one that is in the cropland that is starting to go to flower. And I may not have said that. So it has to follow these instructions. So, in essence, w- what, it, what I'm leading you down the road to is that, then again, this does not work on magic is that somebody has to write the instructions and that is what they call the code inside the microprocessor. So the algorithmic code is going to be the set of instructions that are going to be followed by the computer. And I hate to use the word computer, it's a microprocessor, it's a control logic. So now, what gets to be confusing, and it's really not confusing if you don't understand it, is that the algorithm only has a range of control. So when you write an algorithmic program, it has a range of control. And then after that range of control, the algorithm can no, can no longer do anything. So let me give you an example. So if you have a gasoline, we're going to say a gasoline engine freeze arithmetic and it has a, it's a fuel injected gasoline engine it has an oxygen sensor. The control logic of the oxygen sensor is an algorithm. All right. So it's meant to be, to tell, okay, it, we have to add this much fuel, take, a much, take away this much fuel based upon the instructions from the oxygen sensor so so the oxygen sensor is the person going out into the field like the field scout saying this is we have weeds in the field and then the the it tells the ecu that there's weeds in the field and then we need to either cut the weeds down or, or what have you so we're either going to add fuel or take fuel out so now when you have a trouble code and i had touched on this before a while back in in, in a show. When you have a trouble code that is that is evoked in something. I don't care whether it's a grain bin dryer that has a trouble code in its control logic. Your washing machine, if you have an advanced refrigerator or your pickup truck or your combine, it's irrelevant so when you when a trouble code is set if it's some sort of control logic and not a switch well the the header is up on the combine or the door is open on the car some sort of control logic which means it has the ability to change things is that and it sets a trouble code that means that the algorithm ran out of its range of authority so getting back to this gasoline engine so, if the gasoline engine is running fine, all right, then we have no trouble, code, no service engine, soon light on. So, now we go underneath the hood and we, excuse me, we pull off a vacuum line. Well, if we pull off a vacuum line, that's going to start to lean the mixture out. All right, so now what's going to happen is the oxygen sensor is going to tell the computer, hey, we're running leaner now. And the computer is going to say, no problem, because my algorithm allows me to add up to 25% injector pulse width. Does it go right in, in, uh, immediately to 25% and in, in inject pulse width? No, the algorithm says, the math in it just like in my washing machine says based upon this amount of leanness how lean we're going to add two percent fuel all right so now it adds two percent fuel through the injector longer pulse with using this for, same thing with auto steer when it's i mean it works on an algorithm it's following it's following the path right if it go v is off a little but doesn't cock cock the wheel 90 degrees and turn the tractor over all right so it's in that range of control so now the thing is that's on edge two percent and then it looks all right fine now it's satisfied it's in the control in the control range now i pull up another vacuum hose now i pull off a big fat vacuum hose and the oxygen sensor says hey we're very very lean we need more fuel but now the algorithm is comp says we're at 25 percent adding fuel if that's how the algorithm is written and we still can't correct the problem what we're going to do is we're going to put the service engine soon light on and we're going to default to that value and that is going to be it so That is all in the algorithm. So if you have a newer vehicle, a newer tractor, a newer piece of equipment, and it's setting some sort of trouble code, then the manufacturer tells you, well, we just have to put a reflash in it. We have to reflash that, which is very common. Newer machinery, newer equipment. You have this error. Oh, no, we will handle it with a reflash. And now lots of this equipment, the the on-road vehicles and also farm equipment are going to be able to be reflashed through telematics, through like a cell phone tower, they say, okay, no, you got that problem with, don't worry about it, we're gonna reflash it and that problem is gonna go away. Well, what they're doing is they're changing the algorithm. They're changing the recipe, they're changing the math or they're telling it, well, don't look at that. Don't look at every other thistle in the field. Look at none of the thistles in the field. So that's in essence what it's, what it's basically doing. So the algorithm is a mathematical formula. It's a recipe, it's a set of instructions instructions. Now, just like if you're going to give me instructions to come to your farm and you're going to email them to me, you wrote an algorithm for me to a set of instructions to follow so the thing is now you could come and say to me now for instance to come to my farm you could come here from i80 or you could come here from route 46. it's going to be a different set of instructions but it's still going to get you to the farm so the fact of the matter is that when when the engineer is writing the algorithm for something he could take this route he could take route 80 or he could take route 46 as far as that control strategy is concerned. So <clears throat> then that has to be the decision that is made by the calib- the calibrator. Now what's I do want to establish to you as far as a control logic is concerned, something called feedback and feed forward. Now this is very common in the in the engine management and it's very common with uh, almost any algorithmic control, but specifically with engine management and other and other controls that have to be very finite. So now, when you say that you have a when a feed forward, and I'm going to stick with an air fuel ratio in an engine because it's probably the best example. So on a gasoline engine, the ideal is to have 14.7 to one stoichiometric mixture. Stoichiometric means the greatest level of the highest level of chemical. To mechanical energy exchange the most efficient burn rate and that is also the air fuel ratio that a catalytic converter needs to be the most efficient so that is so now in essence you have this oxygen sensor which is a monitor which is a a monitor and auditor telling you whether the, telling the computer the management system whether the air fuel ratio is correct or not and um if your tables inside your algorithmic tables, which would say based upon this engine speed, this coolant temperature, this load, this RPM, all of these things come into play, and it's called degrees of freedom. It's about the tunability. All right, more inputs coming in is that that says that the engine should have a this pulse width, let's say 1.4 milliseconds, 1.4 thousandths of a second that the injector should be open to achieve that goal. So on a feed-forward approach, feed-forward, you go and you have the pulse width calculated accurately that there needs to be no correction to it from the ECU, from the management system, that's feed-forward. If you are very sloppy... With the calibration, or the engine starts to skew, now that becomes a feedback approach. So feed forward means that there is no correction, and feedback means that there has to be a level of correction. So let's talk about auto steer. So if you're going down the field with your auto steer, and it's going st- and it's going straight as as a, as it's supposed to, be, straight as an arrow, you would say that's a feed forward approach that the tractor is tracking straight it doesn't have a worn tie rod that's wobbling around it doesn't have low tire pressure it's dragging it to one side and it's tracking straight so that is a a feed forward type of approach that it's making no correction now if it has to start to correct because a tire is losing air and it wants to, let's say a right front tire is losing air and it wants to start to drift to the right well now the auto steer has to turn the wheel a little bit to the left to try to to try to, to keep that back in place. So now that is a feedback correction, and it is going to now compensate for it because it's that one tire is low on air. It's going to drift all over. So now the the rate of control under the feedback is an additional algorithm so it says okay if we're off one degree what we're going to do is we're going to turn the turn the steering wheel a quarter of degree per second until we get back onto the satellite path the track for the auto steer. And it's so so what it does like I said doesn't jerk the wheel, right? And the same thing is with the with the with the engine management system, it doesn't dump a whole bunch of fuel, take a whole bunch of fuel out. It sneaks up on it. So there's a table, an algorithmic table that goes and says, okay, based upon this, what we're seeing here, this is the amount of correction we should make to whatever it is. So, it, uh, so why, why is this? Why am I doing this show? You may say At this particular point, your head is spinning. So what the heck is this guy talking about? Well, what I need for you to understand is number one, that algorithms are control or what control anything that has some sort of microprocessor and feedback and a level of correction. So in essence, if you have a grain bin controller, and you a uh, grain bin controller, and you set it for a certain am- a certain amount of moisture, a certain amount of temperature, what have you, that is all the tables that control that is an algorithm. Now the thing is that when you're going down the road and you're driving your car down the road, and you see something, or you start to get a wind, the wind is blowing blowing sideways, and you have to start to correct for it. That is what an algorithm does. But but an algorithm does not have the ability to sense things like a person does. It doesn't have the ability to reason. Yes, it reasons to a certain extent based upon what data it sees. And it is very easy for an algorithm to be skewed. And for instance, let me go back to my washing machine. And I'm not picking on it because I love the machine. It's great, all right? But I noticed because lots of times I'll turn the wash on when Charlotte goes to school she'll load it and I'll put the washing machine on and let's uh, I'll look at the algorithmic control that they have or I'll be able to study the algorithmic control So let's say we have a lot of heavy things in there it's winter time sweatshirts, long johns, heavy flannel pants right but she doesn't have a lot of a lot of height in there so let's say there's three heavy items. The algorithm that they have recognizes looks at weight and then determines the amount of water to go into the drum based upon the weight but i lots of a few times because it has that glass top so a few times i said to myself well i could see that there's i don't want to say that there's error in their algorithm because i really don't need that much water in here because of it doesn't have that much weight. But then, it's so, I mean, it has, it has a lot of weight, but doesn't have, have a lot of, a, a lot of volume is probably the better word for it, All right, So now, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Maytag people have determined, well, if you have that weight, that mass, we need to put that much water to go through. But from what I've seen, I think that it's, and I'm, I'm not a know-it-all, please, but I would say that it's probably a very, very, generic or simple algorithm that says based upon this weight here and this is how much water we need to put in the drum so i wanted to fool it and see what's going on because that's how you figure things out so what i did is one time i stopped it and i took took i i shut it off so it would erase its memory i unplugged it so it could so it could dump the capacitors and i said okay i'm going to take a couple of things out and i'm going to see what this machine does all right, so i took some weight out of it but it just must have been right at that control point where it says okay between x amount of pounds and y amount of pounds we're going to put so much water in the drum so it did not put any it still kept the same level of water instead of taking water out so then what i basically did and I didn't do this all this one day. You going to think I'm nuts, right? <laughs> but what I basically did is really wet down some towels, put them in there so they were real heavy, real heavy. All right, didn't have a lot of mass. And they said, okay, let's see what water level it selects. And it selected a higher water level, even though it didn't have a lot of volume in there, but it was very heavy. So obviously their algorithm is biased, in engineering we call the word biased, biased towards the weight and not the volume of the clothes because it has no way for it to tell volume. So the thing is that as we get ready to move on here, and you probably got a headache already. And I just started to say, why am I discussing this with you? Because number one, as, you, as time marches on and equipment marches on, you're going to have to have a general familiarity of how things work. And, and understanding that it works through an algorithm. And this algorithm is based upon mathematics and tables inside the, the controller. Then again, grain binner, bin controller or combine. And those are numbers and a recipe right or a sequence that somebody programmed in there so is it infallible by all means it is not infallible it has a lot of potential room for error but the whole idea is that they try to get it as close as possible and that is one of the reasons if you recall when i did a show about why i think that that autonomous farm equipment and i think autonomous fields vehicles uh, on any type of autonomous cars is going to be a failure is well, what I mean by a failure it's not going to be accepted in the market and should not be in the market because it is all based upon an algorithm that someone wrote to try to anticipate every situation possible so, And, it is, in, and it, it is virtually impossible to anticipate every scenario that could come across that, that tractor going across the field or that car going down the road. So I call that parlor tricks. And, you know, you go out into the field and you go to a farm show and look, here's the tractor driving by itself. Well, that's no great stake. I mean, that's no great shakes. I mean, I'm not saying that I have the ability to completely engineer something to let it drive by itself, but there's enough technologies, enough, there's enough control logics out there, there's servos, there's everything that you can make it drive by itself. That's the easy part. You know, driving the tractor, having the tractor drive by itself is the easy part. It's what is the algorithm do when the tire is going low on air what does the algorithm do when there's when there's a rock in the field what does the algorithm do when a mouse eats a wire someplace in that tractor and then skews one of the sensors because remember that every time that you have a sensor on some sort of control system all that is is giving information to the algorithm so it's, it's data input for the algorithm. Just like I said, go into the field, and if the guy says, well, there was no Canada Thistle because he cannot, cannot identify it, a sensor just identifies and takes a mechanical condition and, and, and translates it into an electrical signal that the algorithm can understand and react to. So moving forward, what you need to understand is that as you excuse me, get into this more advanced farm equipment, more advanced vehicles, but we're going to focus on farm equipment. All right. The thing is that the, it is very, very possible that the algorithm that they have when you bought this piece of machine cannot anticipate a certain scenario that you have exposed the, the machinery to or the machinery exposed itself to simply because let's say a mouse ate a wire. Or pinched into a wire, and it, and it, and the it wire is grounding out, or skewing, or picking up what they call EMI, electromotive inter, uh, electromotive interference. So it's you need to understand that this is not that a you know people call it technology, and I I guess it is it's technological, all right, it's technological. But none of these the the, the algorithm is only as good as the person who wrote it, uh, who wrote that code. It that's what it boils down to. It's only as good as that. Just like the seed in a bag that you buy, you could give it to one farmer, he gets a hundred bushels per acre, another farmer gets two hundred bushels per acre, another farmer gets three hundred bushels per acre, another farmer gets no crop whatsoever. So it's what you do with that seed. And and I you know, I read a lot of things and people talk about this and they talk they don't they don't really reference it as an algorithm, even though they should. But any control, and I'm repeating, any control logic that you have on the farm is algorithmic based. But your life is also, as I was saying, is algorithmic based, and and you know, in early computer technologies, say, garbage in, garbage out. Well, we have to bring that, we have to bring that phase back because if if you put wrong data into it it's going to make the wrong decision but keep in mind is that the Sid that the decision it's going to make right or wrong has been imported by a human being in a table that is called an algorithm and regardless of what side of the political aisle that you're on but with the dominion voting machines the term algorithm kept coming up algorithm 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 Well, that was a control logic, that is a control logic, which is no different than your auto steer, or your fuel injection system on your pickup truck or on your diesel engine or what have you. It's a table that's gonna say, when well, we see so many of these, we're going to do this. If we see so many of these, we're gonna do that, all right? You read into it what you want. But the term algorithm is very, very important for you to at least have a understanding of what's going on. None of this stuff works in magic. People think it's magic. People think it's, it's not magic. It's, and even if you get to a what they call AI, artificial intelligence, even if you get to a level of artificial intelligence, it just means that there are more advanced algorithms with more degrees of freedom, degrees of freedom, freedom being called inputs into it, inputs into it, and then that is going to make a have it make a decision process, but that decision process is all based upon data that somebody put in there. So now, as we start to, to to as I start to close this segment, because I want to answer Kyle Friday's letter and do the toolbox test, and hopefully not have a repeated one. all right? my algorithm was bad. Right, as far as that was concerned. The take home message here is that. Whenever you have a piece of equipment that is going to have some sort of control strategy. The first message is that I want you to realize that it works on an algorithm, which is a set of instructions. The second thing is, is the set of instructions does not have eyes, it doesn't have ears, it doesn't have anything, all right? What it basically does is have sensors. So all of these sensors, whether it's a car or a combine or, or an oven or my washing machine, are the inputs into this controller for the algorithm to to hopefully make the proper decision. So if the sensor inputs are wrong or the sensor input skews, then that algorithm is going to get bad data. So for instance, let's make a simplistic case. You're a you're a, you're a uh, a row crop guy. You're growing corn. I was to corn, and now you get and you find out that corn is twelve dollars a bushel, right? Twelve dollars a bushel. So you're gonna say sell twelve dollars a bushel, right? So that was the information you got. Twelve dollars a bushel came through your telephone, but it wasn't twelve dollars a bushel. It was one point two, so a dollar and twenty cents a bushel. God forbid, right? and you sold it for a dollar 20 cents because you got bad data because because what had happened was that the input the information put the decimal in the wrong place so this is a whole synergistic approach and it's important for you to understand what's happening here because if you have bad data coming in the algorithm is going to make a bad mistake and make it make a mistake because it thinks that corn was twelve dollars a bushel when it's only a dollar twenty a bushel so a dollar twenty a bushel you would not sell you would probably buy and at twelve dollars a bushel you're going to sell and not hold on so that's the second take-home message the third take-home message here is do not think that it is perfect because nobody is perfect the only thing that was perfect got nailed to a cross over two thousand years ago was our lord and savior jesus christ so the the algorithm can have a have a level of of error in it so you may say to yourself well i'm doing this and i'm setting my grain bin controller at this and i'm not achieving that i'm trying to i'm setting my planter to have this population and i'm not achieving that so when there is a microprocessor some sort of microprocessor not mechanical things with a switch like you're throwing throwing a lever on and off is that that is working through an algorithm so if you are investing in a new piece of equipment and with the farm economy doing well thank god lots of guys are looking to upgrade so let's say that you go and you buy a new sprayer with a pulse width modulated control. So there's an algorithm in that controller that says, okay, I want, you know, 10 gallons per acre. This is the tip I have. And it looks at the ground speed and that's how it controls it. So if you go and you slow down, right? It's going to cut back the pulse width because you're going to be staying at one area in the field longer. If you go faster, it's going, to in, it's going to increase the pulse width because you need to get more product on the ground or on the crop, yeah. right? At a, at a higher speed. When you turn it to headlands, it's going to recognize that. And that's all an algorithmic control. So don't ever think it works on magic. So if you were to get a new piece of equipment, And it does something inaccurately, and is not a a hard component failure, then usually, with rare exception, is the algorithm was written incorrectly. When I worked for BMW, and I'll get close with this, is I may have told you the story before. That was doing one of the testing I was doing was the M3, which had a a. Individual runner intake manifold going to a plenum high performance engine, variable cam, timing, what have you. All right. And then it would, I told the head of engineering, is that we have a problem with the algorithm. Because when it sits, and and I sit in traffic on a hot summer day with the air conditioner on, and the underhood temperature goes up, and I've shared this story with others on this show before, but it's a perfect example, it starts to roll, it surges. In engineering, will call it, they don't call it surge, You call it an idle roll. So it starts to roll. So I came back, I told him, I said, we have this algorithm wrong, and he didn't want to hear it so he says how can it be rolling we have the algorithm well very simply how can it be rolling is because the amount of rpm deviation was more than that algorithm was able to compensate for but more importantly i told him that i did not think that it was the that it was the control strategy for the idle speed I think it was the algorithm, the table we had for the intake air temperature because when I monitored everything, the coolant temperature only went up slightly, but the intake air temperature went and went went very high sitting in traffic with the air conditioner on and no airflow on a hot summer day so i said to him i forgot what his name hans or something i said to him and he was going nuts on me i said to him i don't think that is the algorithmic control for the compensation i think it's the algorithmic control for how we're leaning out the mixture when it's under hood temperature is high and that table is wrong and not the not the idle speed table. So the things that so keep that in mind is that when you look at it is that this stuff becomes very complicated. and only the only purpose of this show today was for you to understand that regardless of what the, what people want to tell you, it doesn't work on magic, it works on math, it works on a decision-making process just like your brain does on a decision-making process based upon data. You take data and information into your brain through your knowledge, your experience, you process it, and then you make a decision, whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your business life, whether it's whatever, whether, with your farm okay i think we're going to do this we're going to raise more corn this year we're going to raise less soybeans and vice versa so that is all algorithmic but it is you as we start to see that these it, it, that these feedback systems these control systems become more and more prevalent they're in my washing machine all right is that you could very easily skew that and you also need to look backwards and say is the, you know, is, did the algorithm work right for a year? Did algorithm work right for two years? So for instance, now going back to my washing machine because has nothing to do with farm equipment. All right, let's say JCP and now my power company drops the line voltage from 120 volts to 106. Well, it's very possible that that algorithm is going to skew if they don't have what's called a voltage compensation table. So in essence, what we're we're doing here is we're putting a lot of, we have to put a lot of data, a lot of inputs, a lot of mathematical calculations to try to duplicate the thought process of a human being And it's never, ever going to be able to duplicate the thought process 100% of a human being who knows what they're doing. Maybe a human being that doesn't know what they're doing or has a cursory exposure to something. But anything that's going to input it is going to have the possibility to skew it. But always keep in mind that the algorithm could have error in it. So it's just like you going and buying a piece of machinery and they machine something wrong and the gasket surface is not flat and it leaks. So as you go forward and you move into buying new equipment and you move into and you see that there's there's this this there, may be a problem with it, there may be something with it, or it may not do what you like. Ask the implement dealer and say, hey, is there a reflash for this? Is there a calibration update for this? I really don't, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm not getting the singularity that I want. I'm not getting this. I'm not getting that. Whatever it may be, I'm making up stuff just to, on the fly over here. But the thing is that keep in mind that that's all a decision process. It's not magic. It's not done by God. It's by somebody writing an algorithm and putting it into the the table for a level of correction. So, hope you. Hopefully, I didn't lose you on this, and hopefully, you don't think it's too dry of a of a of a subject. But I just felt that it's important for you to understand these terms because people throw them out, and that's really what you're paying for when you buy a advanced piece of equipment. You're paying for these these controls, circuits, and control systems. All right. So we're gonna bring Text Rubinowitz in now. From Ripsaw Records. Come on in, Text. You don't have an algorithm. Well, I'm a daddy a yeah, i All righty, Thank you so much, man. So here's our toolbox test. All righty. You have noticed that your five-year-old pickup truck with fuel injection and drive by wire, right out of algorithms, stalls occasionally if you come to an abrupt stop. It starts right back up and runs fine. Otherwise, just the other day it began to stall more frequently. Before it stalls, it sounds as if it is idling too low. Confused since there is no idle speed screw to adjust, you ask some friends, and this is what they say farmer a says that the torque converter clutch is not disengaging installing the engine farmer b states that though it can be a few different things given that the engine starts right back up and runs fine he believes that the electronic throttle control motor is slow to respond farmer c tells you that there must be a throttle stop screw but you may have to remove the throttle body to gain access and farmer d says to you he thinks that the egr valve is hanging up all right so the thing is those are our different choices and i am going to get ready for this okay so now we're going to read kyle friday's letter and we're going to get into that which is a problem that he has so he says uh he says i recently purchased a 2018 silverado 1500 with 41,000 miles on it it came from the dealership with aftermarket 20 inch wheels and all terrain tires i noticed on my first trip on the highway that it would start to shake around 72 miles per hour i called around and found a tire shop that did road force balancing and took it in the technician told me that they were all close when i left and it should be all right my next trip on the freeway was a little better but still still gets a vibration around 76 miles per hour it shakes and the drinks and the it shakes the drinks in the cup holder. i'm sure my next step is to take it back to recheck the balance but after that where do i what do i look for should i check to see if some weights have fallen off the drive shaft i also have to mention that it rides smoothly at a normal 55 to 60 miles per hour thank you for all you do that's kyle friday excuse me from essexville Michigan now all right now as i read your letter kyle and i contact him As said i'm going to handle the letter because it's a a lot going on here now he, i know kyle listened to my show on road force balance and i commend you for going to look for a road force balance machine now ironically and this just came in the other day is that um the road force balance machine works on an algorithm now i'm not saying the road force balance machine is wrong but there's a couple of things first of all i have to question whether the technician actually did it i'm not i'm not accusing somebody of something but on the road force balance machines that i have been have exposure to which was from hunter but i know there's other brands now but i think they kind of a uh, they were the first ones to come out with that at uh, that technology is that you could do a balance without road force or you could do a balance with road force So the thing basically is, is that if it's, so I don't know whether the person did the balance with the road force. We're going to assume that he did do the balance with the road force. Now, the other thing basically that I, that kind of perked up my ears here was that, and I'll read it again, the technician told me that they were all close. I don't know what close means because the thing is that when you do a road force balance, it's going to give you, it's going to instruct you if you're going to do it properly and it's going to look at the weight, how much weight in pounds that the tire is exerting across the rollers as it rotates. And the reason for the road force is that the sidewall of the tire, the sidewall of the tire acts like a spring and it's like a series of coil springs around there and if the tire is either out of round or the 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 springiness if the lack of better word the flex of the tire sidewall is not uniform which it usually is not to a certain extent it's going to exert what it says it's going to have a higher level of pressure against this roller now then again there's an algorithm in there And the thing is that the technician could override all these algorithms. So most road force balancers would probably start to kick a tire out at around 7, around 20 pounds of road force and they call it road force against the roller ideally you want zero pounds of road force but they usually kick it out the ones that i've seen around 20 pounds of road force and at 20 pounds of road force what it's basically going to do it's going to instruct the technician to break it's going to identify the points on the tire that are not as springy not as springy and the thing is that it's going to uh it's going to now ask him to move or her to move the tire on the rim to get into a different position because what you're seeing is going to be a stack up of tolerance. It's going to be the amount of run out on the rim and it's going to be the amount of run out on the tire and the the flex, the amount of flex that the sidewall has. So now you would move the tire on the rim and then you would hopefully get that road force back into a range that's acceptable which historically is usually the algorithm saying again is usually around 20 pounds now to, to properly do this you wouldn't then and you say if you can't get a tire below that or right below that road force the thing is that then and after you move the tire it's very possible that the tire is defective or that what i mean defective if it's a brand new tire it's defective or if it's a tire if this god knows i don't know this truck has forty-one thousand miles i don't know how long the tires and rims have been on there all right but there could be a problem with that so the next step would be to take the tire off the rim and road force balance the rim and see what the rim looks like all right so now do do i think it's the drive shaft i doubt it very much The idea that that what jumped out at me was that it has aftermarket twenty inch wheels and it has all terrain tires. I would look at the tires and see the date code on them and where they were built and that we were built, I mean when they were made, and I would run my hand I would run my hand over it. All right. I would have to say that your experience, because it's, it's relatively smooth, it's nice and smooth at the lower speeds, it's coming at higher speeds, I would say that it is the tires, and it's a combination of the tires and possibly the aftermarket rims, All right, and if it's the tire, then the thing is that I would say that the tire either has some error in it or it has a high degree of road force and the technician did not do a good job. So if that is the case, then you need to have them rebalanced, or ideally, I know I know the wheels and tires probably look real sexy, but I would not be surprised if it's just a combination in there. But the thing is that a good road force balance, a proper road force balance should do that. Now keep in mind that if the tires are, well, it's a 2018, so I'm assuming the tires can't be that old, but they could be four years old. They could be five years old. Specifically, if it's an oddball size, you want to look at the manufacturing date because I've seen with tires that they sat for three or four years before the person bought this. I bought these tires in 2019, but they were made in 2016. So I would say that you need to look at that, but, but succinctly, I have to say the most... Comp, the most... you know. Uh, what you need to do is you need to ask this guy, what's the road force on each tire? And give him a say, and, and mark them. The proper way to do is is to mark them and say, okay, this tire has 18 pounds, this tire has 12 pounds, this tire has six pounds, this tire has 17 pounds. All right, and then what you would do is you'd be able to even put them on different places of a vehicle. I personally think he did a Mickey Mouse balance. I think it was done on a road force machine but it was either done at the high end of the tolerance, all right, the high end of the tolerance, or he totally ignored it and didn't even have the road force on. And like I said, with a road force machine, you can shut that off and you could just do a regular, regular balance on that. And I, 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 I believe, and I'm, 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 I'm stumbling over my words because I believe it's a combination of the aftermarket rims and those tires. The question, the $64,000 question is Can a good road force balance correct that? And to a certain level, I would say yes, that is a very good possibility it could, but then there's a possibility that it's out of range of the algorithm, it's out of range, and you could only get it better. So, you know, if you just keep it, Keep me in the loop with that. I'd be more than happy to talk to you on the phone and, and about that, but it's a very frustrating thing. All right. So, what we're going to do is get back to our toolbox test before we close. And Farmer B a thought of the most, most likely cause. Though a sticking and slow to release EGR valve can cause a stall, historically the engine would run rough just before it stalled. In like fashion, a torque converter clutch that does not release can create a stalling condition on deacceleration. Still again, in most instances, the vehicle would act as if it were being lugged on the way to the stall, all right? So since the farmer stated that no other symptoms are present, a lazy electronic control motor is the most likely cause or the throttle plates are severely carboned up if that is the case then the throttle controller would have to open the butterfly further to compensate for the coast down condition so it is most likely in that area. Now, I did not know I was going to do an algorithm show today. But you have to realize is that that's what happens. So if the throttle plates are very, very coked up and they, they actually grow in size because they're loaded with carbon, then what happens, the algorithm says what the rate of, at this at this speed the person is releasing the throttle it's 30 miles per hour this is the load this is the situation we have to open up the throttle plates so much this this amount of degrees so it doesn't stall but if the throttle plates are all covered with carbon then they actually grow minutely in size and that is where the problem lies and the algorithm cannot it's, i didn't realize we were gonna have this this question here today the algorithm cannot compensate for it so now is the algorithm wrong no the algorithm is taking into consideration that the throttle plates are clean that used to happen years ago when i had my building engine with buell grand nationals it was not drive by wire but the idle air control motor which would do the same thing the iac if you put a small converter torque converter like a nine inch converter in it for a drag application drag race application and you would get on the car and get out of it like on a street and you lift the throttle the car would flame out and stall like you shut off the key because the algorithm calculated for the mass of an of a 12 inch or 11 inch converter whatever Buick came from the factory and the inertial mass of this big converter f- flying around spinning around with all this transmission fluid in. you put a small converter on that algorithm table needed to be tweaked for a faster response and for a higher rate of movement because it did not have that inertial mass on it and i used to fix those cars all the time all right by tweaking the what they call the minimum air rate for it i didn't change the algorithm i tweaked the minimum air rate so the thing is that it's it, and I think this is what's and this, not a thing in this particular case with this pickup truck, that is the most likely cause. So keep that in mind that if you go and you change something or something deteriorates, if the algorithm worked fine for X amount of time, then, and now it cha- now it doesn't work fine, that there's a very good possibility that what you changed cannot respond or whatever the situation may be. So listen, I drove you nuts today. Your head is probably spinning. If you're new to the show, I apologize for having such an abstract topic of understanding algorithms or how algorithms apply to your farm equipment, but know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher in my beloved, beloved America, even though I do drive you nuts sometimes. You take care, have a blessed day. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.